Sean, it's been a while since we beat this dead horse. Let's talk okay. about the Marvel Cinematic Universe versus Martin oh, Scorsese. Oh, joy. Oh, joy. Yeah. I, again, it feels like a, a, a minute has passed since anybody has said anything about this. Nothing's been uh, uploaded to Twitter or posted on the Hollywood Reporter or Variety. Mm-hmm. So come on, let's 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 revive. Let's stick uh, the the jumpers on the bolts next of this Frankenstein monster, <laughs> which is the this debate. Greg, Regar- don't I mean save it for your forty-minute YouTube essay. Come on, that's like, don't, don't forty spoil minutes, it please. all for here. That's only part one of nine. <laughs> okay. Got it. <laughs> I could go on forever about this debate, John, be- mm-hmm. because you and I have been ignoring this, uh, not just because it's uh, utterly facile and stupid, but because <laughs> it's a debate that's been raging on since the beginning of time, and one you and I have talked about a lot, and that's the difference between art and commerce. Indeed. And there's also, it's a kind of a weird intersection of fandom currently, where your whole personality and sense of being is defined by the products you consume, which I think is also a big component of why this stupid debate won't go away. That's true, and it's not just, I, I will give this, it's not just uh, Marvel fandom. Uh, Martin Scorsese's fans can be as passionate. I mean, who can, that, that is who can forget that, yes. that great grunge song <laughs> centered all around how Martin Scorsese makes the best films? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he inspires the same level of, of enthusiasm, I think, as Marvel Marvel movies do. I suppose. I mean, but, like, unfortunately, like, they both draw a certain amount of shitty fans who really only appreciate, like, I think a certain level. Like, yes, the people who are jumping to Martin Scorsese's defenses are, are, are totally the morons who had Goodfellas posters on their walls. You wouldn't That's see fair. them being like, oh, like the master behind silence. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> like, none of them yeah. are, like, vehemently defending mean streets or pointing that one out. Yeah. Well, that one they will defend because to look at the other side of the debate marvel fans at least are 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 just as oversimplifying and saying oh martin scorsese just does gangster films um Mm. whereas they are you could accuse them of being just as simple-minded when saying like oh actually uh the winter soldier is a great paranoid thriller like from the 70s Um, (laughs) yeah yeah right yes and you (laughs) know saying that both have robert redford yeah good job (laughs) and there and there's a certain level of of artistry behind uh thor 2 the dark world or Mm. the incredible hulk (laughs) Yeah, sure. Great. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, obviously they're just pointing out like kind of the weaknesses on both sides. But again, I want to get to the the huge overarching thing and and we've never kind of debated it on this scale because as we said, never have we had two fan bases as big and passionate at uh debating this sort of thing. We're talking mm-hmm. about like are are the Marvel movies cinema? Like are they art mm-hmm. in the traditional sense? And is Martin Scorsese like the great artist that we make him out to be? Uh, well, I mean, I, think I already have my answer, but I'm waiting for you. Yeah, the answer is obvious. the The Marvel Cinematic Universe or the Marvel movies in general, while yes, they can have kind of artistic aspirations, I I can't really call them art, or I can't really call them cinema, because no. yes, because they are designed as products. They are meant to make money, and that is their number one goal. And yeah. therefore, they can't really be defined as art. Art should be for art's sake. Um, on the other hand, while Martin Scorsese obviously is a more talented artist and a more talented filmmaker, you can make the same argument for his movies as well. Like again, he he is making a product to be consumed. Now, granted, does that mean that he can't explore, you know, the finer intricacies of the human condition? Absolutely not. But to say that he is completely full of artistic merit and that there isn't 
some uh, component of audience uh, interest in what he's doing, I think, is a little disingenuous. Yeah, I mean, sorry not to make the debate any more facile than it is, <laughs> but I will push back and say that, yes, like Marty Scorsese is an artist because I can maybe because I'm more experienced with it and I can point out like those intricacies and say like what is an intentional B movie the departed <laughs> like what is mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> what is supposed to be just as you said like an entertainment product like a crime thriller oh yeah and again going back to the question like silence obviously silence was made with no commercial intention whatsoever no, obviously not <laughs> no you could say the same maybe of of Cundin or uh, uh Age of Innocence for instance I mean mm-hmm. I Again, we can't we can't uh, go inside his mind yet. Um, but until <laughs> until that day, we can assume that he not made until them. that hologram is complete. Yeah. <laughs> but until until then, we can just say that those were done, with, say, with artistic merit in mind, or wanting to challenge something. And that's what he's talking about when he says that Marvel movies aren't cinema. It's because they don't really challenge. They're intended as product first, as you said. And mm. although there's artistry going on, sometimes in storytelling. More often than not, in production design, uh, also in music, like yeah, they're not really they're not artistic achievement. They're not JMW Turner paintings that will you know <laughs> endure for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so does that close the book on it? Now yeah. we've said now the final words. We we're done. It. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Yeah. We should have just done it earlier, so maybe we wouldn't have to you know stretch it out for weeks on end. I'm glad we I'm glad we finally put the final stamp on this. It's yeah. done. It's cooked. <laughs> I perfect analogy, John. The reason I wanted to bring this up, okay, is because it ties into the movie we watched this week: artistic mm. expression versus the need to sustain commerce and a livelihood. Well, I, I think you gave the game away, Greg, because obviously we're doing a movie that is based around an Italian-American family that yeah. is, is tied to the theme of Thanksgiving and is really about the American experience. We're talking about the movie The God... No, wait, we're talking about Big Night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> is there someone you can borrow from back in... Um, back home? Well, no. Because um, we did that already to come here, so... I see. Do you have any saleable assets? Something to sell, like a, like a car for money? Oh, oh yes. Yes, I understand. I wasn't uh, sure you... No, no, no. I speak English. Um, no, I don't. My car? No. I have a car, but it's no Cadillac, you know. I need my car uh, for the business, so... I see. No, but... Um, I don't know. Uh, your payments over the past two years have hardly been consistent. Mm. Yes, I know. Uh, I'm afraid we can't give you any more time. What do you mean? We can't give you any more time. Okay, Mr. Pierce, l- let me just explain something to you, okay? I'll explain my situation to you, which is unusual, all right? I don't want to bother you, but... Uh, listen, my brother is... Um, <laughs> It's a difficult situation because what we try to do Look, here is very well, hard. Listen, we I hate very to see businesses lazy. Fail, okay? I just, but I just want you to understand. I hate but to I... see businesses fail, okay? Mm-hmm. Yes, me too. But we're a bank. We can't help people who can't help themselves. Mm-hmm. If we don't receive your payment by the end of the month, we will foreclose. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, John, I mean, when you say big night, 
mm-hmm. don't think people even know what this movie is. We're, t- we're not talking about a, a veritable classic, a movie that has all these bona fides like Oscars and and uh, critical accolades and uh, or Buffo box office if we're talking about the Marvel movies. <laughs> No, um, and you're right. Uh, the only reason I know about this movie is because of a binging with Babish episodes where he makes the Tempanillo. Um, Timpano, but close enough. T- whatever. Tem- <laughs> I, I was giving a little Lata- uh, Latin flair, Greg, okay? Come yeah, on. Sure. It's named after a tippity drum. Whatever, continue. <laughs> Much like Louis Prima, I, expa- I expand out from, you know, I, I, he's just like a, a cultural stew, okay? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I, the main reason why we're doing this movie is because of, again, my general curiosity, but also, you know, it's a movie centered around family during Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving and eating a whole bunch. So I thought, eh, why not? Let's explore it. Let's see what happens. Um, when you're right, I think it is kind of interesting to think of how this movie has kind of faded into obscurity, even though I think the pedigree would imply that this is kind of like a very big Oscar baity movie, or at least probably was at the time. I, I disagree. When you say faded into <laughs> obscurity, it, it, I, John, putting aside your love of the film's two stars, Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub, mm-hmm. nobody outside of... Let me tell you, when I heard the cast, I was a jump jiving and a wailing. Exactly. Nobody outside of weirdos like you <laughs> looked in the newspaper, saw an ad for the movie Big Night, and said like, oh... Uh, honey, or, or children, whatever. Get, grab your coats. Let's go to the box office right now. We have to go to the theater. Pay for parking. Get a popcorn. Forget dinner. Forget everything else. We have to drop right now and go see this movie called Big Night. Like, Greg, look. No, and again, the part of the curiosity is the fact that for me, if I am going to be a, a, a film snob, then I have to challenge myself. And so I have to know if I can judge a movie uh, free of my uh, internal biases. When you have a movie that brings together my favorite character actors, like Ian Holm, Stanley yeah. Tucci, uh, Tony Shalhoub, and Mark Alice Anthony, and Latin, Latin Grammy Award winner Mark Anthony. <laughs> Anthony, and also the music of one of my favorite uh, artists, Louis Prima. I'm like, yeah. what is this? Pennies from heaven? Like, I need to know if I see this movie, am I going to be able to judge it fairly? Okay, that's that's fair. Maybe that'll be our criteria. Instead of saying like, "Does this classic is this classic worthy of the admiration?" X amount of years later, is this a movie where we can uh, look aside, look past our our personal favorites or um, things that have given us joy, say in the TV show Monk, or um, <laughs> say as a supporting character in The Devil Wears Prada? Can we look past those things and and uh, judge and appreciate a movie on its own merits? So, John, I mean. Do you want to go ahead and do you, do you want to judge this movie on its own merits? What, what say Yes, you? I do. I say it's fine. It's just, <laughs> mm, it's just a good time at the movies. I mean, just granted, fine. this okay. is... The, yeah, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a nice little chamber drama, a nice little kind of character piece. Um, is it revelatory? Absolutely not. Is everyone kind of giving their best performances? Eh, not necessarily, but uh, I think well, it's got okay. enough... We'll disagree there, but... Okay, all right, fine. <laughs> But I thought it was, uh, you know, just one of those things, I guess. I mean, it didn't make me sing, 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 but I'm, I'm <laughs> quoting Louis Prima songs throughout this whole inter- this whole podcast, okay? So yeah. just be prepared. <laughs> to the enjoyment of the four or five people who can still name Louis Prima But I'll Prima tell songs. you one thing. It didn't give me the St. Louis blues. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> what do you think if we take risotto off the menu? 
Prima. What do you think about that, huh? Take risotto off the menu. I'm sorry. What did you say? Forget it. No, no, no. I know here what you say. Tell me what you say. Well, it's just that risotto costs us a lot. And it takes you a long time to make. I mean, you have to work so hard to make, you know? And then we have to charge more. So I think take it away. Sure. Good. Real? Yeah, that's good. Grazie. Okay. Maybe instead uh, we could put. Yes. Tell me, tell me. Well, uh, I was thinking. Um, mm, what. What do they call it? You know, is a. Come on, dice. Manicotti. No. Is a. Hot dog? Hot dog? Hot dog? Yeah. Hot dogs. All right, I'll pick up on your point. You said it's a chamber drama. We should probably Mm -hmm. talk about the origins of this movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's the mid-90s. It's an independent cinema boom. Mm -hmm. So Banks and everybody's just handing out cash for original screenplays. Banks, Quentin, Tarantino. Yeah, (laughs) small small projects. Let's let's thank uh, Kevin Smith, too. Oh, so so Stanley Tucci writes what, what I think started as a play. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this totally it, feels like a play. When you say chamber drama, yeah, it's a, it's probably supposed to be a play because that's where Stanley Tucci came up in New York City, mm-hmm. and they they gave him the the money to make this movie. He's he'd established himself, as you said, as a character actor, and he was allowed to write and direct his own movie. and th- And this is what it is: Big Night. Uh, as you said, very small scale. It's a period piece that's set in the 1950s, centered around two immigrants: Stanley Tucci playing Segundo. The mm-hmm. second, literally the second brother, <laughs> and uh, his his older brother Primo, literally the first. Um, yes, I I have many questions about why these Italian <laughs> parents decided to name their child first and second, but we'll gloss over that. Mm-hmm. Um, what this really is about is not not necessarily like the immigrant experience or say ingratiating yourself, but more like ambition like artistic ambition versus like um, kind of compromise. And uh, Stanley Tucci's character is barely scraping by as the technical owner of this restaurant. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Tony Shalhoub's character, Primo, is, is a bit more uh, aloof, uh, much more committed to his cooking and quality cooking to the, to the detriment of everything else. They don't have any customers, that, and all he cares about is getting the best ingredients and producing the best quality meal. Uh, the price, everything else about it is is secondary, or a, a terrible, a distraction, or a, <laughs> a, a complete detriment to the quality cooking that he's committed to. Exactly. An early scene kind of illustrates it. Maybe too fine of a point. He has these kind of Philistine Americans coming in, not even understanding what they ordered. They ordered risotto, not understanding that it's a rice-like pasta. And of course, they think that they're also getting spaghetti and meatballs with it, because it's an Italian restaurant, of course. Why wouldn't you get spaghetti and meatballs? (laughs) Um, And obviously, Segundo is trying to explain why... uh, uh, you wouldn't have a starch with a starch, and they don't care. They just want to get it made. And Primo is obviously offended at the very idea. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, and this, it's probably the most cartoonish scene in the whole movie, even though it is, uh, it's still pretty understated. Not, yeah, I'd say I'd, I'd give it more understated than cartoonish. I, I mm-hmm. like the one that happens later where it is just uh, Primo and Segundo. And this is after we've established that they're they're on their last line of credit with the bank. Like they literally can't stay open till the end of the month. And Segundo goes to Primo and says, "Like, hey, why don't we switch up the menu? Maybe take off the risotto since it takes so long to cook." And and um, and no one really knows what it is. Yeah, nobody knows what it is, and it is expensive. And so <laughs> you see this coming a mile away. Like uh, Primo, like kind of agrees, says yes, yes, and hems and haws, and like. And says like, well, we should make something else. What do you call it? And you see it coming. He finally says, hot dog. We'll make a hot dog. Like you know, <laughs> obviously not willing to compromise the the great food that he's making. Exactly. Yeah. And to put in sharp relief to their failing restaurant just down the street, there is an actual successful uh, restaurant run by Ian Holmes' character, uh, Picardo. Yeah. Is and so Picardo? this is what, yeah. And so this is where I object to Pascal. Like, Sorry, it's Pascal. Yeah. And so yeah. this is where I object to you saying that just because the tone can be a little mild that the actors aren't giving their all because mm-hmm. as, as we know Sir Ian Holm um, mm-hmm. only goes to one level and that's 11 <laughs> and he plays and he plays Pascal to the cheap seats he does and I, and I love it I couldn't get enough of him just as we can't get enough of Ian Holm in any movie so <laughs> yes he's kind of cast as the villain uh, it's, it's a bit more complicated because he does throw them a lifeline and saying like oh I know Louis Prima and he's going to be visiting here uh, with his band on their night off of the mm-hmm. tour. What, instead of like coming to my super popular club, why don't I send him to yours instead? And exactly. you know, with his celebrity riches, he'll he'll have a, a, a he'll have a uh, what what do you call it in the in the in the restaurant business? Um, a grand evening. <laughs> um, <laughs> a grandiose post sunset. That's yeah. what they call it. <laughs> This is the green one that my brother has made especially for you. This is the pesto, this is the regular risotto, and this is the seafood risotto. Now this one. Yes. Can I come back for more? No, absolutely not. No, no, no. no. <laughs> what do you think? You will make it or what? Will it be prima? Yeah. <laughs> you better make it. I don't know what he's missing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess, in the back in the day in the 1950s, yes, a celebrity endorsement was a huge thing. Like he likes to show off the fact that he has a signed picture of Humphrey Bogart in his restaurant, and we've all been to those like Italian restaurants that have like you know just the walls littered with you know autographed pictures and whatnot. Yeah, uh, James Gandolfini, um, Danny Aiello, <laughs> exactly all the classic Italian American actors, but. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it genuinely does feel like a lifeline. Uh, however, like, we can't just have the plot centered on this one big night. We have to look into the personal lives of these characters. And this is where it gets a little complicated, uh, mm-hmm. because we see Segundo go off with his girlfriend, Phyllis, who's played by Minnie Driver. Mm-hmm. And he hems and haws about, like, taking their relationship to the next level. Um, they try to get romantic, and he's like, no, no, I can't do it. And I... 
I didn't really understand this until later. We were also introduced by uh, to a character played by Isabella Rossellini. And this is where I could see the actor actor's ego coming in because it's implied <laughs> that uh, to make ends meet, uh, Segundo is basically whoring himself out um, <laughs> to this character. <laughs> Which and, is all made all the worse because that's Pascal's wife. And and it's clear that they have somewhat of a loveless marriage. She she snipes at Pascal earlier, and in one of my also like favorite scenes, like <laughs> some people like the rain again. Uh, Isabella Rossellini. This cast is stacked. I mean, oh yeah, it's huge. It's huge. You got uh, again. Uh, it leaves Shriver's in this role. He plays like a used car salesman. No, that's that's not him, John. Leif oh, that's Shriver. not him. No, <laughs> Leif Shriver plays like the bartender. He has like two lines. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn. He, I was really hoping he was the the car salesman. No. Okay. No, glad you brought up the car salesman because he's my favorite character. Just because it, it, talking about theatrical, like he's he's one of the um, more cartoony visions in this movie <laughs> because mm-hmm. he always knows what he's like going to say like next. Like he's introduced like sleeping in the car that he's going to sell on the lot, and then he's always got like a an, a question or an answer prepared for Segundo. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the scene goes nowhere. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of script doctors would say like, "Well, Mr. Tucci, you need X, Y, and Z or whatever." But uh, I think the car salesman was just there to kind of be a, a comic relief. That's true because he's yeah. he eventually gets invited to the big night, and he's still like kind of playing ball. He's still like trying to sell cars to everybody who's there, and mm-hmm. I think it's also maybe a comment on the American dream as well. Like, so he has a broken arm. Why is his arm broken? He's not really kind of keen to say, but obviously he cares about selling these cars. I like to think, and maybe I'm just reading a little too much into it, maybe a bookie broke his arm or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like he couldn't pay up like some kind of gambling debt. Again, like everyone's kind of struggling in this neighborhood. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Maybe, yeah. He's always got a lollipop too, which is which mm-hmm. is a weird touch. I mean, I, it's, I granted it gives you dramatic flair. Like every, everybody else smokes like a chimney um, in this movie. <laughs> exactly. So. It was the 1950s. Hey, yeah. we didn't mm-hmm. know any better. Yeah. Um, but as you said, it's not a prosperous neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So, but they get everybody to to come to this big night, the big night at the restaurant, even mm-hmm. with the implication that they don't have to pay. Exactly. And that's the that's the big thing. They're depending on Louis Prima being there to basically cover them for this night and hopefully And uh, obviously they're investing a huge amount of time and energy and money into making sure that this is the finest meal that they've ever had. Yeah. So uh, they they invest in fresh flowers. They get the freshest ingredients. They uh, make that big dish I mentioned earlier, the tempano. Mm-hmm. Um, they make two of them. <laughs> yeah. And of course, going back to this, the roots of this uh, uh, movie probably being in theater, it's very much waiting for Godot, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very fair. Yeah. And this is where the movie kind of loses focus a little bit because from this point on, let's call it the second act on, it just becomes the party. Exactly. Yeah, and the characters aren't eating yet. They're just drinking and, and getting uh, sloshed. <laughs> and there, it's not like there's any dynamics going on, uh, unless, like, uh, um, the only, yeah, the only one disagreement that's really, there. Yeah, well, the, the only one, and we were very, and I was very confused by this, the only uh, kind of threat to this dinner not happening is that Segundo lied to Primo, saying that... Um, you know, this is this is a big night. Louis Primo wants to visit our restaurant because of the quality of the food. Mm-hmm. And later he learns it's because Ian Holmes Pascal invited him. Exactly. And it wasn't the quality. Yeah, and that's the only thing that really threatens the, the evening is um, uh, Primo is, like, fed up with this and, and storms out. 
I mean, un- unless you you find something I don't know more interesting than that. Um, um, I mean, but then there's also the live the fact that Lily Primo isn't showing a period. Um, and well, we don't know that funny. yet. Yeah, we don't know that yet, but it is kind of interesting that Primo finds that out before Secundo does. Um, I think the motivations in the third, in the second and third act do get a little muddled and a little confusing. Um, for one, Pascal has lied. Yeah, he said he basically says like, "Oh, Louis Prima is going to show up. He's totally going to arrive." But like, "Oh, musicians, who do, who cares? We're all having a good time." And after the jig is up, it's kind of revealed that he kind of wanted to ruin him so he could have them both work at his restaurant. But it's kind of confusing because Pascal doesn't really care about the quality of the food. He's obviously yeah. set up to kind of be the one with no artistic integrity, and so Primo would never want to work for him anyway, or he would compromise too much and it just wouldn't ever work. So maybe he just didn't want the competition, but there was no competition to begin with because obviously <laughs> the restaurant was failing. What you do? You give to me nothing. Nothing. Is that what you think? Yes. That and I give to you nothing. Yes, that is what I think. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's very confusing, and it does. I I will give Stanley Tucci credit though, because if you have an actor like wanting to write him or herself a meaty role, mm-hmm. I could see it kind of like feeding their ego. Like, let's think about uh, Zach Braff in Garden State. Like, oh, um, yes. <laughs> oh I'm I, I'm I'm super handsome and and well off, but uh, oh, I'm I'm a I'm I'm a bit moody. I'm brooding and mysterious. But oh, and this, Natalie uh, Portman uh, is infatuated yes, with me. Yes, the love of my life comes along. You know, like. <laughs> You could see how sometimes, you know, you write a role for yourself and it can kind of feed your ego a little bit. I do appreciate that this movie ends somewhat on an ambiguous slash tragic note. And mm-hmm. it doesn't feed Stanley Tucci's ego. Like, it ends with him kind of being a, a failure of a restaurateur mm-hmm. or, like, being had or not getting the girl in the end. So I, I appreciate that in terms of, like, kind of uh, uh, writing that for himself and and. Taking the taking the story in kind of a challenging direction, um, that's that's what I think this final big twist really serves is 
also like not just to take it in a challenging direction, but also have this great final scene between his character and Pascal, where Pascal basically owns him, saying like, "I know exactly mm-hmm. what I am. I'm a businessman, and I'll do anything to win. What the heck are you?" <laughs> like, and mm-hmm. Primo doesn't have a final word for that because. You know, he's a young man. He doesn't quite know uh, where his place in the world yet. He doesn't know his place in America. As, uh, I as mean, yeah, I mean, I guess that's ultimately a kind of interesting theme the movie is playing with is Segundo doesn't really know what he wants. Obviously, he wants a successful business that also is kind of integral to expressing the, the joys of Italian cooking, but he can't really have both. And much yeah. in the same way, he wants to commit to his girlfriend, Minnie Driver. He can't really do that either. So... And then eventually the offer comes up. Well, we could always go back to Rome. Like my uncle will take care of us, and the, or our uncle will take care of us. And he doesn't really want that either. So it's he's he's. So on the one hand, you're right. It does kind of make for a, a interesting tragic ending, but it also kind of makes for an unsatisfying one because we're never really sure of what Secundo wants. It kind of ends on this note where he's just kind of going to be listlessly kind of going through life, not really sure of what he can do oh contraire john oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i'm sorry that's french i don't know what the italian equivalent of that is but sock me blue but if this movie has any reputation it is from the very final scene which mm-hmm. people which i know critics and and a lot of fans of this movie love Mm-hmm. And it is like after a, a night of a raucous party, it's kind of the come down, it's the hangover. Louis Prima didn't show up, their restaurant is ruined. Mm-hmm. And they have a fight on the beach, and it looks like they're going their separate ways. But um, Gundo comes back to the kitchen. They're, they're, um, they're sous chef slash uh, waiter slash, I don't know what he is. Mark Anthony wasted. I mean, come yeah. on. VMA winner, Mark Anthony. <laughs> Famous micro penis haver, Mark Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> That has only about two lines in this movie. Uh, it, not enough, but um, Segundo comes back and, and cooks breakfast, and that's when uh, Primo re-enters. And you think it's going to be kind of the ignition of maybe another argument or something, but instead... Uh, well, uh, not, Segu- not, not if you're paying attention, because you'll notice he does make enough eggs for three people, and he sets yes. them aside, and as soon as Primo enters, he gets a plate ready for him. Yeah. So you're like, and it's a very, it's a very long protracted scene. <laughs> yeah, like well, the whole it's, preparing it's one, take, of one shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, owing to its theater, it, the the theater. <laughs> exactly. Like that's how we know that this was clearly meant for the theater. Like a lot of wide shots. A lot of scenes yeah. are allowed to play out in real time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it ends uh, also like I, I think it, in big theatrical endings, it it actually ends wordlessly. Like they, neither of them say anything to each other. Like as you said, it's all done uh, through gesture. Uh, Stanley Tucci gets the plate for his brother, serves him the egg, and then um, as they sit silently, they wrap an arm around one another, and then that's mm-hmm. when we fade to black. Yeah, but again, there's still no resolution about what's going to happen. Is you know Tony? Shalhoub's well, I'm so, I'm to... sorry, you're a philistine and need um, need I'm your just, I'm hand just held throughout the throughout the filmic experience. I'm so, I'm not saying, but you like you said yourself, like you know, it's kind of unsatisfying, right? No, I wouldn't Especially say because Tony Shalhoub's right, character it is ambiguous, but I would say it's it's still satisfying in a way. Okay, like I, there are a lot of movies that have ambiguous endings that I don't find like really complete the story. This one I feel like does, at least like the reconciliation between these two guys. Like that's that's what I found satisfying. Maybe it's not as great as a lot of people have hyped up this ending to be because the story preceding it doesn't really, as you said, like come to any resolution. 
between what direction they're going to go in their careers or what direction Segundo will lean uh, with the women in his life. But I still found it, I still found, found it to be an effective scene. And mm-hmm. I did appreciate that Stanley Tucci had a vision for a, a story that doesn't just um, kind of flatter his ego. Well, or, don't forget, and, you're, you're also forgetting, you know, this has a co-writer and a co-director, Greg. I, I know, let's, that's true. Let's I'm not like, throw on, poor Scamble, Campbell Scott out of the, under the bus, either. <laughs> I know, you're right. <laughs> but come on, is this not an auteur's vision? This uh, is very Mr. much Tucci. an auteur's vision. Yes, yeah. this is Stanley Tucci, the Tucci himself, yeah. on the page, <laughs> his blood on every page. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I appreciate the the artistic risk. Let's say, like, if mm-hmm. it, since he's making a piece of art and not commerce and not, mm-hmm. and not a product, I I admire that he did leave it somewhat ambiguously in all the plot lines and and gave us still a somewhat satisfying ending. Obviously, you seem to be on the other side of that coin. I uh, no no I I was just following what you were saying. I thought you thought it was unsatisfying. No, and no, I was no, kind no, of like I... agreeing with you. I thought like, eh, I guess you could kind of see it that way. I thought it was fine the way it ended. I thought it was great. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that then we're, I don't know what we're arguing about. But... I don't know what we're arguing. Oh, gosh. What are we, two brothers who just argue all the time? Come I on! I <laughs> phoned a spaghetti. Come on, just have some eggs. Let's make some yeah. ravioli. Let's make some, yeah. <laughs> I'm making the eggs. You're a terrible cook. You can't cook eggs. Excuse me? I can yes. make pasta. Mm. Al dente, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> that means cooked perfection in Italian. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but anyway, Big Night, it was pretty, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty good movie. Yeah. Again, like, it is kind of funny talking about this film, like the reputation of it has I I don't know I feel like it's completely kind of faded into obscurity personally but I don't know what well, how the heck how to, the heck do you measure that yeah yeah I guess that's also true I mean how do we measure any of the movies we fucking watch on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> well I can at least point to let's say a, a wins at the con film festival or mm. a cult following or the posters in college dorm rooms uh, yeah here Again, we know it's one of the maybe the classics around cuisine. Mm-hmm. Like I guess this this comes up with uh, Babette's Feast, although I think that has maybe a little bit more cachet behind it because of the Oscar nominations. This Big Night didn't get nominated for any Oscars. It got kind of smaller uh, film awards, like uh, the Film Independent Spirit Awards, or I think the Gotham Awards too, mm-hmm. or the uh, whatever that National Review of Critics or something. Uh, but yeah, nothing nothing major. It has its admirers, but it's a pretty small bunch. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I can kind of see why it maybe hasn't, uh, or at least in your mind, faded behind, like, let's say, other cult classics. 
Yeah. I mean, the only other movie I can kind of think about comparing it to is the the last movie we kind of did that was of a similar pedigree was probably Quiz Show, which is like, we're kind of familiar with it because it seems like a kind of perfect Saturday afternoon movie. And this movie kind of feels like one, too, as well. Like, just kind of a good movie to kind of put it on in the background and got likable actors and things like that but as as you know compared to the other movie the big movies of the early 90s like say Forrest Gump or Goodfellas no doesn't have that same cachet (laughs) no (laughs) well nor we can't we can't compare those because this didn't this wasn't released by Paramount or Disney or anything oh okay (laughs) so let's say let's compare it to say Clerks or Pulp Fiction instead like obviously it doesn't have that cachet either Mm mm-hmm it's more like a, a a gross point blank, which we're not going to be watching on this podcast anytime <laughs> soon. I don't think. I don't know. I'm I, thinking Christmas I do movie. I do know, and that's a that's a that's a um, that's a turn down for what for me. Um, oh wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, of course for Christmas we're doing Eyes Wide Shut, the best Christmas yes, movie, <laughs> the best Christmas movie. Ugh. Yeah. Well, I'm also happy to see that the Tooch and uh, Monk haven't diminished in your eyes. Uh, excuse me, he's the Shub, okay? Shub. The Tooch and the Shub, all right? Yeah. Together again. I, I think this movie is a great reflection of artistic merit, because we have an actor who, generally, they have a lot of freedom in their stage name, or mm-hmm. their, let's say, their SAG card, but this man said, no, I'm going by my birth name, Anthony Shalhoub. <laughs> That's right. Okay, he's Greek and he's proud of it. Thank you very yes. much. I mean, I guess we never talk about the casting of this movie, did we? Stanley Tucci is really probably the only Italian actually playing an Italian. In this movie. <laughs> yes, and John, John, how could we not? Like I mentioned, Isabella Rossellini, uh, and Mini Driver. Come on, Allison Janney. I, st- I mentioned Allison Janney earlier. Everyone loves Allison Janney. I know. I don't think you did. You didn't, clearly didn't give her enough accolades. Come on, John. I, give... I put her at the very beginning. Oh, Look, she has a smaller role in this movie, which is kind of That's perfect true. for her. But uh, again, like, yeah, uh, everyone perfect it for her. Like... John, there, uh, Allison Janney does not play small. All right, <laughs> <laughs> Greg. It's like. For Alice and Janie, it's like you have to look at it like in one of those eclipse boxes. It's like if it shines too bright, it burns your eyes. Okay, that's true. you got to limit that's, it. That's fair. She does burn too brightly sometimes. <laughs> uh, all right, um, transition, transition, spotlight. Yeah. Spotlight, spotlight, spotlight. <laughs> John, come on! Just because it's Thanksgiving week, we can't phone this one in. Come on, you're right. Gotta... You're right. You're right. I mean, yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> Every Shout day this week heavens. feels like three three thirty on Friday, but you know what? We're gonna barrel through. <laughs> yes, come on, John. Shout out to the heavens! At the end of every episode, we recommend something full heartedly with uh, full hearts and clear minds with our with gusto. Section. Yes, with gusto, with pizzazz, with them. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to go with panache and pizzazz. Whatever. It's spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Spotlight, dun 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 yeah. dun dun. You're first this week. Go. Okay. All right. Um, John, you recommended an anime last weekend. Indeed, I did. And I'm going gonna... along with the whole Asian theme. Yes. And I'm not going to let myself out of the hook. I can recommend uh, an anime that I watched <gasps> on the airplane on my flight Ooh. back from Japan. Yeah, was it subbed a... or was it? Du- we never really like, have gotten into this. Um, into this. Uh, this hot take. Hot take, guys. I will not yeah. watch subbed animes because. <laughs> I don't watch cartoons for reading. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I I'm I'm getting into uh, the subbed uh, world mm-hmm. um, because I I have grown to appreciate a film in its original language, 
Mm -hmm. And maybe with the childish animes that we grew up in, Mm -hmm. uh, it it sounded a bit like a chalkboard when uh, actors in another language are really like shouting to the rafters and it can, <laughs> it can, it can wear on your ears a little bit here. We're talking a, a more grown up vision. So it's a lot, uh, it's a lot more subtle. John, mm-hmm. I'm talking about uh, the anime movie, ride your wave. Now hmm. you've probably never heard of this movie and nobody will because it'll probably never come out in the United States. Okay. Uh, I but mean, this is, t- way to toot your own horn. Uh, you probably haven't heard of this before, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I speak more. I, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to. Uh, <laughs> how do I want to phrase this? How are you going to back out of this one, Greg? Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean that to to indicate uh, a high quality. I mean to more <laughs> speak of, uh, let's say, cultural relevance. Because uh, let's talk a little about a bit about the uh, Japanese movie industry, John. Oh, let's. Yeah, because demographically, I mean, th- they have the same amount of uh, uh, male and female moviegoers, obviously. Hmm. But for the working women uh, who don't want to encounter rush hour, who don't want to get pressed up against by sweaty uh, men in the, in the subway trains, <laughs> they go and catch a film. So there's okay. a big contingent of, of female movie watchers, and this is, this is a dramatic romance that kind of caters to them. Uh, there have been other movies in the past, like uh, Your Name and, and and a few others that, um, again, are anime and also kind of deal with um, uh, some kind of fantastical element, but are really about romance. Mm-hmm. And that's what Ride Your Wave is about. We follow a young woman whose name... I should have had this page up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. I've, I'm, I'm helping you out because I just brought up the page on IMDb, and uh, I think you're gonna <laughs> you're making the plot synopsis a little too complicated. It's literally, according to IMDb, a surfer and a firefighter meet and fall in love. <laughs> oh, John, it gets way more complicated than that. Are you ready? <laughs> okay, do it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Bring it on. Hit me like a crashing... Uh, storm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's a young woman who's going to college. I, I presume she, they did mention the town name, I can't remember it now, but it's down in the southwest uh, of Japan. Pretty mm-hmm. pretty tropical. Um, palm trees, lots of surfing. She loves to surf. Mm, All right, I But bet. John, she doesn't have her life together. One of the Ugh. opening visual gags is... Uh, what she's just, a mess. I know. <laughs> one of the opening visual gags is um, she's in her apartment, and it's f- floor-to-ceiling with cardboard boxes. And at one point, they, they're falling all over her, and she's like uh, comically trying to prop them up. Ugh, so, what a yeah. klutz. Exactly. Now, one day, some irresponsible kids... Uh, when I say kids, they're also college students... Um, are shooting off fireworks, and her apartment complex catches on fire. I know, Yikes. bad news. But thankfully, don't they know everything's made of rice paper over there? They shouldn't be putting <laughs> up. They shouldn't be launching fires. I mean, it's insane. I, I know, but people don't learn. <laughs> okay. But John, into the rescuing arms, she falls into Minotaro. Minato. Yeah. Min- okay. Yeah. A tall, dark, handsome. Let me tell you, this guy, this firefighter, has everything. They're the same age. He's always. You're one. telling me there was a sexy firefighter? Yeah. <laughs> now you know this is a fantasy story. <laughs> yeah. And they immediately start to meet cute and fall in love. They bond over uh, their fa- their favorite song, which they they mention is from that movie. And if they're actually like really self-referential and say like this is the song from that movie, I I really despise this movie if that's the case. Okay. But, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, he takes up surfing for her, and um, even though he's he's got some growing pains, uh, he, he learns to do it really well. And so, yeah, things things are all wavy gravy so far, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But John, this is a, this is an anime movie, so there has Second to be something fantastical going on. Am I right? Let's hear it. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Um, so this is around New Year's. It's it's a after a winter storm when the waves are supposed to be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minato 
goes out alone surfing and drowns. Okay. <laughs> yes. So our, our poor female protagonist is just heart crestfallen, heartbroken. Mm-hmm. I mean, the love of her life has now just passed away, right? Mm-hmm. But when she sings that song that they bonded over, his spirit appears in water. <gasps> oh. Like <laughs> yes. any water or like specifically the ocean? Any, any water. Okay, so she could sing, and he'll appear in a fish Yes, literally literally in a glass of water at the cafe they hang out in, or, and this was the most most baffling thing, like an inflatable porpoise. (laughs) But it's not inflated with air, it's inflated with water. And because she sees uh, her her now deceased boyfriend in the thing, she drags this thing around, but it's got to weigh like 100 pounds. Because it's it's like a giant pool toy, but it's filled with water, not air. (laughs) Why would a pool toy be filled with water? I don't don't know. (laughs) Yes, I don't know. But... um, Everybody thinks she's crazy, but it turns out that actually this this uh, this uh, 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 pelagic spirit is uh, real, <laughs> because at one point there is a, an accident and he's able to summon a, a wave like uh, the ocean in Moana and actually <laughs> save them uh, save people in this uh, fiery car wreck. No. So the plot co- becomes this reconciliation of this woman who who really can't like move on from the death of her boyfriend. And uh, there are two other characters in the cast. One is the uh, boyfriend's sister. Uh, she's well characterized. She's the really mopey one. She's she's a bit like nihilistic, and it really encourages this young woman to move on. The other is uh, the boyfriend's best friend, who's also a firefighter, but he's much more incompetent. Like he can't, like you know, he can't uh, drag the hose up the stairs. He's not as physically oh, fit or geez. strong to do anything. Yeah. Oh my gosh. These, these, like are the these volunteer I, firefighters, you expect better of them. Jesus. <laughs> and these are the characters I identify with more. So I'm glad that mm. we got the that we got the perfect character out of here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so, other than that, I mean, the it it passes the time. I I can't say like how it really resolves. Um, eventually, uh, Minato's <laughs> spirit is freed after a big rescue. Some kids go out uh, and shoot fireworks again, and it caused even bigger fire. Jimmy Crickets, have they learned anything? <laughs> no, nothing. I gotta be honest, nothing is learned. This is just really a time passer of a movie. Um, <laughs> the young girl learns to uh, kind of let go uh, her, her boyfriend, um, spirit move on. Um, the boyfriend's sister and his best friend fall in love, I think. Um, <laughs> so not a whole lot is resolved in 90 minutes. How does this fit into larger Conjuring movies? That's what I, I want to know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. The point is, it's perfect. It's perfect if you are going to the movie theater so you don't have to commute home during rush hour. Um, it'll never be seen in U.S. shores. So, I don't know. If it does uh, wind up on Crunchyroll, maybe, I don't, I don't know, stick it on in the background while you're uh, making okonomiyaki or something. Uh, <laughs> Eating pokeyan, you weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really say that much about it other than, like, I can't remember the last time I, I've watched a, an original movie that had so little, like, kind of consequence <laughs> and just kind of filled me with a kind of a light uh, a light joy, like like eating Pocky or some other, like, nutritionless snack. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what this was the movie equivalent of. Can't say I, like, hated it or anything, but it's it was just a, a fine uh, time passer. There are certainly worse distractions on the road to the grave. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you, Greg. <laughs> thank you for wasting everyone's time. So that's, uh, that's a hearty endorsement for a movie called... I can't even remember now. Okay, Ride Your Wave. <laughs> ride Your Wave. Correct. Yeah.
Well, for my spotlight, uh, I revisited a movie that on first viewing, I didn't really enjoy it all that much, but on a second viewing, I kind of like met more of its wavelength, and I thought it would be appropriate time to bring it up, because it's also a movie about family and brothers, the relationship between two brothers. Well, they're not technically brothers, Greg. They're stepbrothers. Oh, I thought you were going on to say four brothers, starring <laughs> Mark Wahlberg, Andre Benjamin. <laughs> That basic cable classic, but no, we're looking ah, yes. at another basic cable classic, Step Brothers. Yes, exactly. Um, I've watched it, I think, a few years ago for the first time, and I didn't really enjoy it because part of what makes like Adam McKay and Will Ferrell their kind of partnership kind of work, I feel like, is the satirical elements. Like with Anchorman and Talladega Nights, there's this kind of idea where they're in a in a simpler time they were making fun of kind of the George Bush era uh, uh, simpletons. I would say um, there was kind of more of a kind of satire element to these Step Brothers doesn't really have that instead what it's kind of going for is a, a certain level of avant-gardeness that I don't think I was really attuned for the first time I saw it but I revisited like two weekends ago and I I, I laughed my ass off <laughs> okay <laughs> um and I guess kind of going in with fresh eyes I kind of realized that yes this movie is kind of building up to the the premise is obviously um, two uh, kind of lions in winter, uh, Mary Steenburgen and uh, Richard Jenkins. I shouldn't say that they're lions in winter, but they're they're obviously uh, retirees or at least close to. Oh, they're yeah, like our time, you know, um, <laughs> dating couple. <laughs> Although, get, based on what uh, Richard Jenkins makes, more like the latter's. Am I right? <laughs> Maybe SugarDaddy.com. Mm. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. <laughs> Um, and part of the reason why they both bond is because they have these two, they have these two sons who are yeah. also approaching middle age who still haven't left the house. Uh, they both have their own particular reasons why, due to emotional trauma, they don't feel like capable of uh, being out into the world. And we th- like, as the movie opens, you think like, oh, this is the only bizarre element of it. And then as the movie continues, you kind of realize that this whole world is kind of operating on a certain level of weirdness that wasn't really kind of the audience really wasn't privy to. For instance, when we are introduced to Adam Scott's character, Derek, who's supposed yeah, to be villain. like the brother, <laughs> yes, the villain, who's supposed to be the brother of uh, Will Ferrell's character, Brennan. <laughs> they're introduced, like, singing a song on the radio, and they're, like, really getting into it. And as soon as it becomes the wife's solo part, you're flat, you're flat, you're flat. God damn it, we practiced this. <laughs> okay. I... I, I could see some comedy inspiration for it. John, I can't break through my cynicism, though. Okay. In that, at least Anchorman and Talladega Nights, as you said, like they have this satirical element, which you could argue like whether it's successful or not, but at least it's like crafted. At least mm-hmm. I can see that they're trying. Step Brothers, to me, has always felt like, shoot, we had a three-picture deal with Columbia Pictures. Uh, we got to do something <laughs> quick. Uh, uh, we'll set the cameras out like wide. We'll set up a, the mul- like a multi-camera sitcom mm-hmm. setup. And uh, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, you guys just go. Just go. <laughs> and That's true. We'll, we'll cobble together something from there. That's what it always like kind of felt like to me. That is definitely is... true of the sleepwalking scenes, which feel okay. completely unnecessary and, again, just feel very much like, just go nuts, guys. Just We'll, we'll, we'll edit it together. We'll make it work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll fix it in post <laughs> exactly it you're absolutely right however i think this other time i was kind of uh, in the the infectious enthusiasm that john c Riley and will ferrell bring to the parts i think is 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 very evident um maybe uh, maybe it's evident in sherlock and watson who knows um, 
Watson and Holmes. I'm sorry, Watson. Yeah, and Holmes. I, I was about to, I was about to correct you, but it wasn't worth it. I mean, <laughs> who cares? Who cares? Yeah, it's probably it's probably best people forget the title of that movie anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I uh, trying to go in with fresh eyes and kind of realize like kind of meeting the movie halfway, which is something we don't typically do. I think um, often we try to kind of keep an arm's distance, but it's like if you kind of kind of give your way to the sensation of it, then I'm like, oh, okay, I can agree with this. And so I was kind of, again, like talking about Big Night, the way we examine movies, like for some reason watching it this time, I kind of reevaluated the way that I look at movies and was kind of reevaluating myself and where I am in a particular mode of when I watch a movie, I guess. Because, you know, more often than not, when we watch a movie, we kind of, you know, think that our first impression of it is kind of the final word. But yeah, rewatching it, I enjoyed it a lot more the second time, so... Okay, well, la-di-da, brag much? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, excuse me. Um, I caught a Japanese film in the Japanese (laughs) cinema. (laughs) It wasn't the Japanese cinema. It was A&A Airlines. (laughs) (laughs) I prefer A&W root beer. (laughs) It's an acronym not an and whatever right <laughs> but okay i i do appreciate that you can rewatch some that you first like gave gave enough of your precious time to rewatch a movie that you didn't enjoy the first time and mm-hmm. then can reevaluate it um mm-hmm. which is something that i i feel like people maybe aren't doing <laughs> otherwise disney remakes wouldn't exist but <laughs> excellent point yeah heck maybe even marvel movies wouldn't exist yeah so I'm I'm glad you 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 can uh, I I wouldn't say see the error of your ways because this isn't like it's not like your your opinion was wrong the first time uh, I don't know maybe we'll hear hear from uh, some huge Step Brothers fans who said oh I can't believe you you thought it was uh, it wasn't hilarious the first time but uh, yeah you are capable of having your mind changed I think that's a positive thing. Okay, thank you, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't like, Greg, I'm recommending Step Brothers here. I wasn't like looking for accolades, okay? <laughs> That's what it seemed like. <laughs> well, if I was doing that, I would have said, I would have spotlit, uh, uh, I don't know, what's a movie I didn't like the first time? Breathless, I don't know. The 700 right. Blows. <laughs> 400 Blows. It's 400. Um, it's 400, excuse me. Um, excuse me. Somebody needs to bone up on their. Uh, it's a French New Wave. You're not supposed to know what's going on. <laughs> It's obtuse, so therefore it's uh, sophisticated. We're not saying that. <laughs> We're saying that it can be done well, and um, we do have blind spots when it comes to movies that are uh, obtuse, and you know we we seem to f- remember the good ones and f- uh, forget the bad ones. But uh, yes. Yeah, it takes the work of a true artist to really bring something out of that. I mean, in many ways, I think we're the true artists, don't you? Yeah, think? you could see that artistry every day on social media. When we come up with <laughs> just the best posts <laughs> and best transitions. Did you see the way yeah. I teed you up there, Greg? That was that you was did. just clutch. You did, like two yeah. brothers making a perfect <laughs> yeah. meal together. Exactly. You threw that uh, football right over the plate, and I slam dunked it home. Um, <laughs> I pre-cut the uh, eggplant for you, and you cut it even thinner, because you knew it wouldn't fry well. (laughs) Yes, that's a better analogy. Thank you, John. (laughs) But hey, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're all on those channels. We're all uh, there. Yep. And And honestly, uh, I feel like my cats-related posts aren't getting enough likes, people. Come on. (laughs) Come on, John. Come on. Give give us a little validation. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) 
Yes. Also, we do take emails. Um, we're not gonna. If we if th- we will even accept spam if you have it. <laughs> um, both the food and the email variety. Aspire Are you Nigerian prince looking for money? Because we have extra. Let me tell you. <laughs> Aspiring snobs at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, send us your questions, recommendations, feedback. Maybe you feel differently about Big Night or Step Brothers, or maybe you have seen this uh, Ride Your Wave movie on um, <laughs> on a Japanese airline. Who knows? But I don't know. Just go ahead. Give it Give it to us. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Come on. We are, we are going full Italian on this episode. Yeah. And hey, uh, if you got a... You, you see this, you if see you're the feeling stars, charitable, which I know yeah. you are, you've yeah. made it this see far. This. So obviously you're, you're full of the, the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. You could always give us five stars on your podcast service of choice, wherever you're listening to this, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher. Just give us five stars and it'll help other people find the podcast too. Yeah, come on. Oh, okay, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing you will find on those social media feeds is uh, we do reveal the movie that we're watching next week so that you can watch along with us. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll find this movie's pretty easy to watch along because it's Thanksgiving week and you've got nothing but free time, I hope. Indeed. So we've got so much free time that we're going to do a very special R&R. Yeah, I don't know why special. I said it was very special. It's pretty. It's probably just a normal R and R, but yeah. <laughs> that's not true, John. We're gonna be doing a Marty Scorsese movie. Yeah, we're, we're gonna, gonna be... be watching real cinema on our yeah. phones <laughs> on Netflix <laughs> in five parts because I <laughs> I gotta watch some of it uh, before we make the Turkey Day preparations, and then some of it on Friday because we gotta do Christmas decorations, <laughs> and some of it on Saturday. I'm sure that's exactly how how Marty Scorsese intended it to be watched. Oh, absolutely, so. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> But yeah, we'll we'll be doing that and a few other recent releases. Maybe we'll we'll take a jaunt down to the cinema yes. with our days off. I mean, it sounds like you'll be pretty busy, Greg. I don't know what, I, what you you yeah, seem you seem like you have a packed weekend. What the hell? What's going on? I, I, We're not going anywhere. We're not going out of town. What do, why do you have to be busy for? I I don't know. I just uh, I make a commitment not just to the cinema, John, but to mm. family and friends. Oh, oh. can you oh. say the same? No, because I'm smart. <laughs> It's, it's fly all, fly on the busiest uh, travel weekend of the year. Yeah, no thanks. See, yeah. that's called survival. <laughs> and John, you're surviving well. Um, yes, I don't, I'm living I don't my know. best life. Can't you tell? <laughs> John, ham sandwiches on Thanksgiving sound really delightful. Actually, <laughs> please, we get those uh, frozen fry, uh, those frozen things that you can fry up, like uh, little shrimpies and uh, you know Ooh. patties. It's great. Yeah. Nice. No, we're gonna be. I do we're like gonna those be cooking, frozen vegetables. We're patties. gonna be cooking a small turkey, and we're gonna do homemade mac and cheese. Nice. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I there are some parts that not to reopen a whole debate, but mm-hmm. um, you and I did not grow up with mac and cheese as part of the dinner serving. We have we have enough starches. Uh, <laughs> yes. We ate every other starch imaginable yeah. during yes. Thanksgiving: stuffing, mashed potatoes, pasta. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you could do. believe it, there was not room uh, <laughs> for for mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> for our for our Thanksgiving dinners growing up, but mm-hmm. I think one year I can't I don't know why, but I think rem- I remember one year someone served uh, we served mashed potatoes and scallion potatoes. It's like like what are we Irish? Like we couldn't get enough potatoes apparently. <laughs> <laughs> potatoes five different ways. <laughs> yeah, I gotta admit that sounds like the perfect meal to me. Mm, yeah. <laughs> if there's one thing you want to know about the Mantel boys, they love their statues. Oh yeah, I. 
Hi, what are you doing? Hey, <laughs> doing Greg, I'm your brother. Hey. Yeah. Thank All right. Let's bring, thank, let's bring thank this us home. for our yes. Thank you. For, thank us for our restraint and <laughs> not just doing an Italian accent. This whole. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Yes. Let's give Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening, guys, and thank you for being loyal listeners to us every week. Yes, we're so grateful. And until next week, do keep aspiring, and God bless. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha